0: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Norris. This week we have no new Patreon subscribers. So if you want to go support the podcast, go on over to patreon.com/slash Podcast, where you'll find three separate tiers of subscription available. And we'll just get right into it. This week we've got Martin Stences. Martin is a painter. And a damn good one too He was actually the first artist that I saw in a gallery when I moved to Denver I hadn't spoken with him in a while But it was nice to kind of re-meet via Zoom And in this episode we talk about a lot of topics ranging from uh, his artwork, his process uh, Flow states, depth psychology, UFOs and paranormal phenomenon and a lot more really enjoy this talk I think you guys will too this may be the shortest intro I've done so plug in the Patreon one more time go check it out patreon.com slash artsyafpodcast link in the description and also please be sure rate, review, subscribe tell your homies tell your family tell your pets pets love it I hear I hear we're popping off um, among dogs ages Two to seven, so you know a little bit past the puppy phase. They love us anyway. Let's get right into it. Thanks for being on, Martin. Here we go. 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 Um, and we can just we can just sort of answer here in the beginning, if, just to get comfortable and everything. Um, but yeah, how, how have you been?
1: Good, really busy. I don't know, just uh, lots of projects and travel, and Sunny and I kind of tag team on a lot of a lot of her work too. So nice. Um, she's she's got a lot of cool things going on with regard to psychedelic assisted therapy and related techniques and technologies, and yeah. So
0: nice. Does she have a background? So, so that takes. Sorry, does she have a background in uh, like like psychology or anything like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. She's a marriage and family therapist uh, trained at Pacifica Graduate Institute, which is a union place. It's the Joseph Campbell Library is there. So she's got that kind of as the, the background and then uh, works in a variety of different modalities, including EMDR and IFS and um, that, dovetails nicely with her more recent training through CIS in psychedelic assisted therapy and research. And now she's, um, doing a lot of work in, uh, ketamine assisted therapy nice. and, and some other kind of tech facilitated things that are exciting.
0: Sweet. That yeah. sounds like a handful. Uh, how are you, how are you, uh, helping her out with that?
1: I mean, just kind of like, we're always bouncing ideas off each other and, you know, just sort of extra hemispheres.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> Four hemispheres are
1: better than two, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, sweet, man. So we, we kind of, yeah, we team up on a lot of stuff, you know, same thing with the collaborative paintings, you know, it's kind of like we just are used to art directing one another with art as well as other other topics.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at uh so I was just kind of browsing <coughs> through some of your paintings right before we hopped on here. I saved a few. Um, maybe I'll pull them up right now just, um, just so we can talk about them. But in my notes here, I just put – I like asterisked it out, right? And I put Carl Jung archetypes. Uh <laughs> And, uh, I'm going to see if I can, uh, screen share here. So, so people who are going to be able to watch the video will be able to see this. Um, but you have a piece, you have a couple pieces titled uh dark Madonna that I thought just for whatever reason, they remind me of kind of like the, um, the like anima archetype, like the primordial kind mm-hmm. of like, uh, it's hard. It's kind of hard for me to remember all of the, the Jungian stuff, but, um, yeah
1: you know i should that's kind of that's kind of the thing with it it doesn't necessarily have to have the right label it's like some some images just have that resonance where it's like you're tapping into this whether it's collective or it's just evocative it kind of has that effect
0: yeah yeah definitely okay let's see um let's see if this does this come up as like uh something different now can you see i'm
1: seeing i'm seeing you in a sub window and now yeah i'm seeing your screen share and you're about to pick dark madonna yeah, okay. from your list Sweet.
0: <laughs> nice so yeah like uh i i'm just real fascinated with this one um do you have any i guess we can just dive right in Do you? what was like the did you guys just freestyle this at first or this is just you right
1: Uh, Yeah. That one's just me. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, that one was like most of my work, but not all of it. It it was a freestyle kind of thing where, um, it just kind of, I like to do it that way. It's kind of like, um, just freestyling until something starts to emerge and it's like, Oh yeah, that kind of looks like shoulders, you know? And then it just sort of, once it starts to gel, then there's kind of its own logic, you know, starts to creep into the other features and and then it becomes kind of a scene um so that's the way i like to work it's 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 an inefficient way it's always a trade-off between like a planning versus um adventure and i like the adventure
2: yeah yeah yeah, same i like
1: like the adventure a lot so um but it's also kind of like oh my god i've painted over this thing four times Mm -hmm. or at least i've painted over it translucently so much that like you can't appreciate the earlier layers so you might as well you know but i i like to leave at least some level of translucency so that like there's if you get up close under a lot of light you can still see pretty much everything that's ever happened but just to a lesser degree
0: yeah yeah i love the like subtractive uh method that you that you use right um you're using like a lot of like tools into to wet paint is exactly
1: correct? yeah nice.
0: mm-hmm. yeah super rare. yeah
1: i my i use a ton of like the golden glazing medium um or sometimes open which is the same thing <laughs> but it's got like a retarder yeah mixed into it that ma- gives it a longer working time right um and it's just it's really wonderful stuff and i my philosophy is like use it like i'm trying to use it up like the bottle's going to expire tomorrow so just get really loose (laughs) and and, um yeah so and then i just do that again and again in layers Mm -hmm. and um whether it's a a semi-opaque glaze or a color glaze um i i just start tooling around in it with the with the rubber tools um
0: yeah yeah i (laughs) I love those things i think that they kind of give like a Especially the one that um, it's it's like toothed, right? But it's the gaps in between it or like the the width of the the scrape, I guess, on each one is like uh, the Fibonacci sequence or like the, the phi ratio, golden ratio. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I haven't tried that one yet. Yeah, where it's like a graduated yeah. home.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 I, it's really good for like early compositional stuff. Um, and, you know, with the style that you paint in and i pretty much mostly paint that way too just sort of making a mess and kind of like pulling things out and seeing seeing what happens um it's really good for that in terms of just composition i feel like if you can get like a swift kind of like turn or stroke in certain spots Mm -hmm. you can start building uh composition and form
1: and see what comes
0: out from there
1: and i like to keep my surface kind of smooth so mainly for like the undo function which yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know after getting after working in photoshop for years you know i kind of like it just changes how you approach maneuvers and yeah, yeah so like if the if the underlayer is like well cured and dry it's really tough and you can go and do a bunch of stuff and then you've got you know, however long it takes for that to dry in your environment to decide whether you want to keep what you just did over the last 25 <laughs> minutes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And, and a lot of times I'm like, yeah, it's just too busy, whatever. And I'll just like spray it down and wipe it off and then yeah, no harm, no foul.
0: Right. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, painting in this kind of way? Uh,
1: it,
0: I don't, I don't know how to phrase this without sound, without it sounding weird, but in a way to me, it, it, it seems mm-hmm. more like authentic, uh, in terms of like, this is the moment that I started painting and what comes out of this is like more direct and rather than like, um, kind of imposing an image on, onto something. I think there's pros and cons are, are, for each, but
1: are you saying like freestyling versus planned yes. approach yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or are you talking about like digital versus analog medium?
0: Oh no, no, no. Uh, freestyle versus, uh versus yeah plan.
1: yeah i mean i i don't know i i went through a period kind of in the college years of like doing really abstract expressionistic stuff i was super into richard deep mm-hmm. and and that kind of approach to you know compositional balance and movement and kind of rethinking things and blasting over stuff. And this kind of, you know, his, his very like muscular work from the the late fifties was my favorite. What's his um, name? Richard Diebenkorn. He's, he's best known for his like later work when he was like in his sixties and seventies, which was very quiet, geometrical seascape kind of stuff. Um, but his earlier work was really, really cool. Um, and so I guess my point is like I I still like to have the satisfaction of that the composition even if it's representative or even if it's really like psychedelically busy it still works as a um a, as an abstract expressionistic piece yeah um, in terms of the balance of forms and where the action is and where the drama is and the the angles and the movement and the color dynamics and all that like it's still I still want it to be interesting as a painting. Right. Not just as a, not just as a technical, like, Oh, I get it. It's a lion or, you know, right, right, right. So.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Um, like the way that you paint, I, I find it really cool. Um, maybe we could talk about, um, just like how you got your start into, into making art and making paintings. Um, were you, were you making paintings from like the time you were a kid?
1: Um, yeah, a little bit. I, um, well, I didn't really get into painting until I was like maybe 13, 14.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I always drew. I always drew and I still draw and um, just always really enjoyed it. And then started to play around more with watercolors and a little bit of acrylic when I was like 13 or so. And then 14, had an oil painting class in high school. And like that, and then um, my my parents knew a local painter who was trained in a classical way, who did um, figure drawing and figure painting uh, at his studio here in Salt Lake. And I just started going to those things and learning how to do, you know, proper proper drawing and proper painting. And, and his technique was a very sort of pared down, minimalistic, not minimalistic, but it was, you could tell he was classically trained, but he was such a spare person in terms of like His name was Earl Jones, a uh, great painter. He's still around. And um, he just had a very deft, economical way of getting things right the first time, often with the underpainting and then uh using glazes usually like with liquin as the medium Mm -hmm. to allow the brilliance of the canvas the gesso to come through a lot of cases and i just always appreciated his like freshness and luminosity and i've tried to maintain that kind of level of chromatic glow that i like in his work um and and so yeah i started learning pretty early you know 14 15 i got pretty into it and um had some time during those years to like go and geek out in museums a lot and really kind of get up close to paintings and just try to figure out how they were made and what the approach was and which things were done first. And, and, and I still like that, like in a way it's, I, I'm kind of hoping you know, other people will come up to my work and get up really close and have the same kind of satisfaction that I took from some of those pieces. Yeah. Um, so so, um, yeah, so I guess, uh, after the teen years with my, the high school art teachers and then the, the separate, uh, work with, uh, Earl Jones, then I went to the university of Utah art department and did painting and drawing, and they still had a pretty strong, like figurative tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that, the guy that had taught, um, Earl Jones, uh, Alvin Gittens was like a Royal Academy trained portraitist. Nice. Who did a lot of famous people. And so there was still the legacy among a lot of the even though he had died like in the early 80s. Yeah. Um a lot of the people that he had trained that had become graduate students or whatever um were still around teaching. And so there was still a lot of that approach. Um but it was changing in all the, you know, the nineties postmodern <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it was it. a messy, it was a messy time. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was just a weird time. I, I now looking back, I kind of, I think the stuff that I was doing privately in my own apartment was like a lot more akin to what I'm doing now and was really like just more authentic. But at the time it was like, there was just all this sort of like early nineties deconstructive posturing and, and, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I kind of got lost there for a while. It took me a while to kind of get back into my own jam. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah,
0: you were <laughs> so. Were you just trying to follow like the the trend of the time? Did you get caught up in that kind of a
1: thing? Or? Yeah, it just it just felt like you know. I mean, I had briefly kind of a, a mentor that I had, well stayed in touch with um, David Amico, who was in the LA
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, art scene. And he's still, I think, doing stuff down there. And he's influenced a lot of people who I really admire. And I really like his work too. Um, But it it definitely was way more LA, way more kind of postmodern, deconstructed, you know, make your own narrative kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And so, you know, even though I think I learned a lot from like things about how maybe the art world works or what people will be willing to consider in the established art market, especially at the higher echelons. Um, yeah, I was, you know, I got some really good feedback and, and some good training there, but I think it also continued to kind of push me off my, my own native qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think, you know, like psychedelic art is still kind of outre and still a little forbidden and mm-hmm. a, still a little bit kind of dismissed um, along with the entire topic of psychedelic medicine for that matter and other uses. Um, but it's coming around. Um, why do you think that is, you know, especially
0: in the art world in particular? Um, you think it scares people with money away or something? I
1: I mean, (laughs) (sighs) I don't, I don't know if you follow, there's a, uh, what's, there's an Instagram. What's it called? Not it's Jerry Gogosian. Yes, I, Jerry. Yes, G- yes, and 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 I, you know, like there's a lot of truth in those memes because, you know, to a large extent, it's it just it's not about the art. It's about an un.
0: Oh, sorry about recording that. Recording
1: in progress.
0: So uh, I can guess you hear- it
1: dropped the recording there for a second, but I think we're back on. Yes. Yes, I'm
0: really sorry about that. Um, uh, it's all good. Yeah, sorry, but we were talking about Jerry Gagosian, and uh, so you know,
1: why does the why does the mainstream art market dismiss psychedelic art out of hand? Um, I mean, it doesn't fit very well into that paradigm of you know flipping and hot items and trendiness and and hype. You know, it's it's very much more of a it's very de- operator dependent it's very subjective it's very um mythopoetic it often requires a level of craftsmanship and innovation that isn't very amenable to those other kinds (laughs) of ways of doing things yeah yeah so i mean that's that's quite a list i could probably go on
0: (laughs) yeah yeah what is so this kind of leads into a question i often ask people is what are some like brutal facts that you've learned about the art world uh as you as you've been painting all these years,
1: um, that most people are basic as fuck, <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and they and they don't even have a framework to appreciate like innovation or originality or exploratory styles or exploratory thinking or exploratory themes or mythopoetic anything and you i mean i just kind of at this point sort of shrug and go well yeah like this isn't for everybody um yeah i'm not trying i'm not trying to be a crowd pleaser um and maybe to my own detriment uh but like I just kind of got my jam and let the pieces fall where they may. i part of that is like, I, I worked for like 10, 11 years doing freelance product design Mm. for mostly the collective, like the collectibles industry. And also like, you know, tags and packaging designs. (laughs) So a lot of it was like licensed merchandise for, you know, like, you know, Batman stuff, and so it'd be like, okay, we need a Batman cookie jar, and a mug, <sighs> and a lava lamp, and a water globe, and a salt and pepper set, and bookends, and then you'd go, you know, go through the motifs and figure out which motifs would be amenable to which things, and which stuff appeals, and how to make it possible, and then make all the technical art so that the sculptors could make it, and yada yada, and did that just like you know thousands of times. Um, and it was, I mean, it was pretty gravy work, um, before the whole industry kind of dried up and blew off to China. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) which was where it was being produced anyway. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, kind of sitting in that mainstream mindset, um, and kind of cursing myself for misusing my, my dreams and my talents and my interests. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was, you know. It just has a different, you come to sort of say, oh, okay, well the mass, you know, where's your niche in these masses? And, um, I, I clearly don't want to be like in that category of like that cookie jar was so great.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
1: (laughs) And, and, and there are people, and there are people that are like genuine cookie jar enthusiasts who maniacally, you know, (laughs) collect and trade that stuff and it's like okay well that's your jam yeah yeah. but it's not me
0: well that's cool well the cool thing about like the internet right is that those two things can co coexist at the same time like the people who are crazy about the kind of like Mm -hmm. weird art that you know you and i and our friends make can have their like they can be like maniacal and crazy and awesome you know supporters about it and then you know the cookie jar people on ebay like going ham in their their own lane yeah you know
1: yeah <laughs> and um, they do yeah <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, i i've looked up i've, I've looked up like the, the the resale prices on some of these things it's like oh damn i guess i should have held on to my samples but okay <laughs> you know
0: <laughs> yeah are they fetching about as much as a painting or something like that
1: i mean some of them yeah It's like depends on the thing but you know some of them you know, we used to laugh. It was like, oh, these are collectibles. And then it's like, you know, future landfill. Mm-hmm. And then, but then like they, some of them genuinely are. And some of these things it's like, what? 250 bucks for that little box? Okay, well, you know.
0: That's so interesting. But, the things that people... But at least I didn't to. have to
1: store it for decades, you know. Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> um. So I want to talk about... Uh, we were talking on the phone a couple of weeks ago and you were telling me that you have like kind of an outline for a novel that you're planning on writing. Is that, am I getting that right? Or was yeah. it just a, a book?
1: You, you, you are getting that right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean it, it's, you know, the hope is that it's a movie. Um, okay. I need to kind of get it together as a, in a book format that would be amenable to a, you know converting to a graphic novel and or screenplay format mm-hmm. kind of thing so um it's a it's a science fiction or more properly like a speculative fiction uh story nice. that is set it's set in the future about 150 years um and uh this is the this is where my elevator pitch should come in yeah. um, which i'm still working on <laughs> <laughs> but but basically it's uh you know there's a love story um mm-hmm. this young woman and her fiance live on this island um, which is um, well let me back up and say what my influences are on what, on what on why I wanted to tell this story yeah <clears throat> which is which is basically like a lot of climate grief which I think anybody that's informed is experiencing yeah um and and this and kind of also during the Trump years, this kind of despair over the ability of people to coordinate in any useful, meaningful, sustainable fashion to solve the problems which we have put into play. Um, and so it was really, um, the story builds on Aldous Huxley's Island. Um, and I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's, it's basically his, his version of a utopian novel Mm-hmm. um that takes place maybe somewhere in indonesia um with this hypothetical kingdom that is able to cherry pick the best of traditional culture and the tr- and the best of uh technological culture and um they have this astoundingly great harmonious psychedelic culture um which is being predated upon by the neighboring countries who covet the oil contracts and so forth. And so um, there's this intrigue around, you know, this guy as he comes to fall in love with this utopian culture at the same time that he's actually an agent basically planning and plotting to destroy it and sell it off. So the story in my mind was like, okay, well what if there weren't hostile Hmm. um, competitors waiting over the horizon to plunder everything? what if that was already all taken care of what if this psychedelic island utopia was all that was left of humanity and they and they you know had to make a go of it you know under these new conditions that were actually very strict and um and then you say well what happened to the rest of all the people um you know what happened to the nine billion people at the at year 2060 or whatever that. Mm-hmm were around and like, well, that's that kind of builds on an Alice Huxley uh, Brave New World scenario in which basically um, with all of the upheaval, um, people end up going to these, um, you know, places where they can get better food, medicine, entertainment. care and socialization and therapy than they could get anywhere else and they but the condition is that they don't breed and then they you know as that generation dies off that takes care of the population issue um but that's kind of the backstory that you don't learn until later so so in the story um and also i've been reading a lot of uh, margaret atwood the right. oryx and Crake trilogy which i don't know if you're familiar with but it's very dark but it's also kind of in the vein of speculative fiction and massive depopulation um and so kind of trying to ride on her shoulders but without quite the sinister dark cynical um you know it's more of a utopian. it's a true utopian thing yeah, yeah um and even going back and re- and reading the original utopia by thomas More, which was written in like 1515 um that was very instructive and and a lot of the a lot of the features of the utopia of thomas More are Strong features in the social organization for this hypothetical situation in the future nice. on this island. Yeah. so it's a love story and uh, you know this uh, young woman and her fiance are from neighboring valleys and there's some some discord because fiance's uh, relatives had been like as a rule he's really eager to like make good with his family's name um, and make good with their honor. And meanwhile, his his fiancee Lily is from like a more prominent family. Her mother was a senator who was actually involved with the human sacrifice portion of that. And then she discovers some forbidden item. Um, they they're basically deindustrialized and living in a kind of a neo neo tribal utopia that is overseen by this angel, basically. <laughs> Uh, and she discovers some forbidden knowledge and she starts asking too many questions and the society starts to fall apart and the civil war develops. And, and then I can't tell you the rest cause <laughs> got to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But, but, in but as things collapse, she learns the backstory of how this all went down and how this came about. And that's actually the most interesting part. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, nice. The, the, the interpersonal drama is actually like the weakest part. It's like the thing I've been stalling on the most, yeah, uh, on this whole thing because I've been really enthralled with the backstory of how to make this whole thing kind of semi plausible. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, that's rad. Um, so, a few questions off of that: What do you think about the the possibility of uh, like our world actually ch- achieving something close to a utopia? And uh, kind of like a an ad- adjacent question is: What do you think about like predictive programming in media in terms of like planting stories in people's heads and then they are more likely to come true can you hear me
1: hold on our connection just slowed down a little i couldn't hear the last part of the question say that again
0: um the uh the second kind of question is um what do you think about predictive programming um and for people who don't do kind of know what that is it's, it's sort of it's like
1: doing it again hold on dang it um let me turn my wi-fi or yeah let me turn my wi-fi off um, okay hopefully that'll improve our connection speed here okay sorry go ahead
0: um i'll just ask the question over again and uh so what do you what do you th- i'll just do one question at a time so it'll make it easier what do you think about the likelihood of our world actually achieving something like a utopia uh
1: i think it's exceedingly unlikely um Mm -hmm. i love i love reading and some books that really made a big impact on me were those of uh noah Yuval harari he wrote um sapiens and homo deus and 21 lessons for the 21st century and he's he's like a basically a military historian and he's looking at like what were the evolutionary factors that caused humans to be this unique neurotic ape that we are and what are we really evolved to be and do and then the next book was like <clears throat> now you give these godlike powers to this neurotic ape and watch what happens Ooh, that's interesting and kind of scary and and then the next one is like okay now with ai and all this like do we lose our status as like top apex species and you know, is that a bad thing? Or were we always a poor candidate for apex species anyway, because we're these neurotic apes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he basically says, we're not, you know, we're really evolved to, to deal with coordinating and, you know, we're evolved for about maybe a hundred to a couple hundred people in terms of keeping track of our relationships intimately and if you add in social fictions like religion that allows strangers to communicate better um you know you can go into the thousands or even millions with that but when you're talking about billions of people trying to make coordinated rational decisions at a time when we really don't we've run out the time to make errors um i think the chance of that happening on our own is fairly close to zero um and so, and part of this, like the story that I've been developing is like, well, okay, like if you endowed an AI with the right kind of value system to make these kind of executive decisions in a compassionate and wise way, and said, Okay, now go save the biosphere and like don't kill anybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what kind of utop what kind of utopia would it make?
2: Right.
1: And yeah, I don't I don't think humans are up to the to the task of making a utopia um and and i it's doubtful that an ai is either but like i, I think we have to invent a tool you know that maybe the saving grace is that humans even though we're not really adapted to do anything except adapt we are exceptionally good at making tools that can do things that we couldn't do with our meat suit right and i think a a, a meta problem solving thing like a super potent ai is maybe our only hope at this point. Um,
0: right on. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think like, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it, it doesn't seem like we can keep going at this pace for very much longer without, no. without some like <laughs> truly world changing events, uh, happening. Um, but also I wanted to ask you, uh, with like writing this book do you ever think about predictive programming in stories media you know novels all those things um where whereas like just to explain it to people listening who might not know what i'm talking about uh it's where you you know the the stories that we've been telling ourselves through novels and media throughout the years have sort of influenced the outcome of reality because they're so like deeply ingrained in, in people's, uh, subconscious. Did, did that ever cross your mind while, while, you know, getting into the story?
1: I mean, I mean, yeah, that's like kind of the hope is like, you know, <laughs> um, that if it, if it doesn't work on people,
2: yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I definitely would like to, um, add my contribution to the collective cultural dialogue about concerns, hopes and possible solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe when I get the whole manuscript done, you know, it'll be on Google docs and the, and the Google bots will be like, Ooh, check this one out. Like this is, this is maybe the most plausible scenario. (laughs) Let's go with that. And I mean, but, it's, it's silly, but it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I feel like um, I've brought to bear on this question, like, pretty much as many interests and at least somewhat plausible means in which it could occur. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a very radical story. I think sure. it's like, it's like the most Ridiculous lefty fever dream ever, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, especially if you kind gonna go into like the the nuts and bolts of like what made uh Thomas More's Utopia run, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of close actually. So, I mean, yeah, I yeah, I, I like it to be my cultural contribution in addition to like whatever I leave behind his artwork, yeah,
0: yeah, I think at this point, like people who, who want to help and, and also be creative and, or, you know, use their talents to help are just sort of like throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. Like, you know, aside from being like a climate activist, I, I don't know what to do. You know, like, I guess I'm just like, I guess I'll just keep making art keep doing this podcast and hope that like, <clears throat> It inspires someone. Um, but I think it's kind of naive to, um, you know, think that like, like my art is going to save the world, you know? Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's like this paradox because the world would be different without, you know, any, anyone's contribution to it, good or bad. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely are like creativity animal. Yeah. And and it takes a lot of creativity, most of which is irrelevant and useless to keep that kind of a process going. Um, and, but, you know, but that out of all the bazillions of things that get flung against the wall, some of it does stick and some of it sticks exceedingly well. Right. Yeah. And, you know, cements into place and becomes a foothold for a whole new level of stuff like that's how it works yeah so um you know i think we shouldn't judge ourselves or one another by like what's sticking or not um i think it's just like well just like show up do your work you do it with integrity and some love and passion and see if it sticks and totally uh you know i think there was like a alan ginsburg was He's like, I get played. I Like, this is my job is to play the fool. Yeah,
2: Um, yeah, you know, it's
1: kind of like it does. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be redeeming. It's just like you just get out there and you do stuff that's foolish, and some of it turns out to not be foolish. And you can't tell where until you have that hindsight. You can't tell where that foolishness was or was not. Yeah, you just go. Just do your thing. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. When people talk about the muse or like whenever they feel inspired, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's just important to do the work enough to where you're, you're more likely to be around your medium when inspiration does strike. Right. Like, so if you're writing all the time, say, Mm -hmm. and, and then,
1: we got another delay here. I'll wait for it to clear up.
0: All right, pardon the technical difficulties everyone. We're back. Uh so, I remember what we were talking about because I made a point too. But um I think it was about inspiration striking versus just being kind of in front of the canvas or in front of uh you know whatever medium mm-hmm. you're working with, right? And how it's just important to just do the work. Right?
1: Yeah yeah, I don't think you have to be inspired. I think if you wait to be inspired, you miss out on a lot of productivity time. I mean, it's it's better to be inspired and like whatever you need to do to like cultivate that, like amen to that. But like, yeah, sometimes it's just kind of like, well, I can, you know, I can spend 18 minutes doing this little thing like and then I got to go or you know, or that Mm -hmm. I'm too tired, but like you just show up and make something.
0: Yeah. And you know, like one of the best ways I've found to get inspired is to just like push through when you don't even, when you're like, I don't know if I want to paint or I don't know if I want you, and you just like kind of discipline yourself to sit down and just go through it. And once Mm -hmm. you punch through and you find this flow state, just inspiration just starts pouring in. That's what yeah. I found at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I
1: mean, the inspiration part's more fun. I mean, if you can get that, but you know, it true. doesn't always show up and, and that kind of depends on the modality too. Like if it's like heavy on the improv, the, the inspiration is indispensable, but if it's just kind of like, well, I got to finish, you know, redoing these hands, hands are hard. Yeah. You just, just kind of keep chipping at it until you get it looking better. So yeah,
0: Totally. Um. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you this question. Do you do you feel like you think in words or in images more?
1: Mostly, I mean, I'm a very visually oriented person. Most of my sensory input is visual, but like, um, and I I I handle words okay. I just I but I tend to think in terms of like just concepts as though they're like insights or something Mm -hmm. and not so much about like i don't i'm not the kind of person that has like a narrative like a a narrator in my mind maybe to a fault um but
0: (laughs) that must be nice well yeah i don't know if i like narrate things but i think that i feel like i think in words more which is kind of weird that i've chosen or maybe it chose me like painting to express myself with Mm -hmm. um And then sometimes even the words don't really come out right. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's about 50, 50 where like sometimes I'll see things that I want to say and it's hard to say them, but a lot of times I'm like trying to craft, you know, what I, sort of hear as words into an image. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I tend to drift out into like these realms that are definitely nonverbal or even kind of anti-verbal. Um, so, um, you know, sometimes it's a nice, clean, tidy narrative, but not very often. Usually it's just kind of like this suggestive space made out of suggestive stuff and you know just a different modality you know yeah words words have their range and then there's all this other stuff that exists outside of that range
0: yeah yeah this kind of gets back into the area of like uh, archetypes that i wanted to to go i think more deeply on but again it's it's that sort of liminal space where like words can hardly touch what the thing really is and i think that that's why we we paint those things Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it's like that unex unexplicable like shadow side of yourself um like with those dark madonna images that's kind of what i see there is this sort of like the you know the inverse of of like your psyche i guess would you say that's like kind of about right or
1: yeah because i mean there is you know if someone's like well what are you trying to say with this painting it's like i'm painting this because there isn't a way to say that it's just this like thing that sucks you into this quasi erotic mysterious kind of numinous doominous whatever and
0: <laughs> numin <Noom and> doom <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's you know there isn't a vocabulary for that that I'm aware of. I mean, I think there's poetry. I think poetry can can evoke those kinds of spaces and even more.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, um, I don't write a lot of poetry. <laughs> I do sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like it.
0: Yeah, and maybe this. And again, just to like do a little callback here. Maybe this is why um, the the sort of contemporary art world rejects these things because you can't really bullshit about that you can't like
1: yeah i I think sincerity yeah the sincerity is kind of a toxic characteristic (laughs) in a lot of these like economic modalities where it's like no you this you yeah this isn't about like being honest this is this whole hype machine thing that like yeah and it's like oh guess i'm like wait (laughs)
0: how do i
1: sell this shit then right right yeah
0: Right. Do you know, do you know who Jerry Gagosian is? I mean, I know like who, like what Gagosian is, right. It's a big uh, collector in like the uh, contemporary art world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is Larry Gagosian. Right. Right. Is like this ultra blue chip art dealer forever. And yeah. And so, and you know, and people that operate in that sphere, you know, but it's just a it's a whole uh, it's an art form i guess in its own devious like
0: Machiavelli craft. Kind of way. It,
1: yeah it's it's very machiavellian it's very you know it, it, but it is a craft it is a it's an art form and some people learn to get their creative dopamine fix from playing that game i don't Mm-hmm. I wish I did.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's,
1: maybe, maybe I can. Maybe I can learn to. It's an acquired taste. But yeah, at this point, it's kind of like I don't know. Yeah, you just, probably
0: need to buy a few few cause paintings or something. You know. Yeah, that and try cause flipping seems them to out. be.
1: Right. Yeah, cause seems to be the low hanging fruit that everyone likes to use as a punching bag. I, I don't know. I'm not going to bag on anybody's uh, art. But,
0: I'm not bagging on his art. I'm just saying that, like, <clears> uh, I actually love cause's stuff. But like that's like the quintessential thing that you would buy if you're gonna just flip it right
1: right yeah yeah so um, yeah
0: talking too much shit should,
1: no should we I yeah. mean well I don't know <laughs> I, I mean yeah but I don't like to get like into a cynical space because I'm sure, already sure. there a lot
0: <laughs> <laughs> right 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 um let's let's go back to some safer territory what are some uh like what's your routine like? Um, to whether it's like to get prepared for painting or writing or just like just to have a day doing whatever it is you do. Do you have like a typical day? Do you have like is no, it very scheduled I, I, or?
1: Go ahead. I almost never have a typical day except for like going to the gym in the morning. sometime, usually, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just too many parts in mo in movement around here. Um, so I usually get my art. Fix in the evenings, like late evenings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And yeah, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's 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 more of like, if I can schedule it, I will definitely schedule it and be like, sorry, I'm gonna be unavailable that entire afternoon or whatever. But like, usually it's just kind of like, okay, now no one's bugging me. I'm gonna go in the studio until I like can't move anymore, and just get some stuff done. <clears throat> And then when I'm starting to slow down, it's like, oh, okay, go to bed. Like you're not doing anything. (laughs) Go to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. What's your overall take on, uh, I mean, this is such a broad question. I just kind of like putting people on the spot with it, but what's your overall take on consciousness or where do you think that like ideas come from?
1: I mean i'm coming to think that there is a field of consciousness you know kind of the mind at large like huxley was saying
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but you know if that's the case then we're really like pretty inefficient antennas for that and transmitters um because <laughs> i think there would be a, like way more like psychic traffic uh if that were the case um but, but I think that there is there is that. And even if it's some sort of subtle thing that happens at some quantum entanglement level that we can just barely, barely perceive if conditions are right. I mean, it's still, there's enough like paranormal research and things that seem to support that there's some measurable effect there and that that would imply that there's some kind of field we're participating in.
2: <clears throat> yeah, yeah.
1: But, but I think, you know, by, by and large you know, the vast bulk of everything that we're perceiving and thinking is, you know, is we're just sort of swimming in this thought swarm, um, uh, that's being stored, modified and transmitted by brains and words and other media. And I think that's where most of it happens. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> although I, I was just learning a little bit about, um, the, uh, Oh, I forget the astronomical term for it. But basically there's like, you have like a solar time where the sun is relative to the earth. And then you've got like a galactic time where it's, where the earth's rotation is relative to like, let's say the galactic center. Mm -hmm. And that there are certain times, uh, what do they call it? It's not meridional time. They call it, it'll come to me in a second. But anyway, there are certain times of day in the galactic sense when the earth is basically facing away from the galactic center, where if you're trying to do paranormal research <laughs> or remote viewing, um, your chance of getting useful, correct data is about 350% better. Um, mm. so, and it seems to have to do with like getting away from the the noise of the galactic center and into the quiet sort of spaciousness of out there. Um, I think that's a pretty interesting yeah phenomenon um
0: yeah totally <clears throat> yeah
1: so i yeah i i consciousness is uh i think it's kind of like philosophy where i think rather than really gaining an understanding of what it is <laughs> like in philosophy it's just like a history of people like arguing with one another's definitions and shooting down their ideas <laughs>
2: I think. right yeah I think yeah
1: conscious consciousness studies also has that kind of pitfall um yeah. where you know then it's like well wait what are you, ta- are you talking about thoughts or are you talking about impressions or are you talking about the actual in- information transfer or correct guesses or like you know there any one of those and more could be the topic of discussion for what someone thinks they're talking about with consciousness but you know people are going to have different uh, different definitions and different parameters processing what's true.
0: Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird thing to like turn the mind or or even the brain in on itself and try and grok what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we we understand all these things about like our external reality, but we don't really understand all that much about how it is that we're able to even perceive that external reality and that like why we have this like sense of self or I mean, I guess they do know that it's more like a survival thing for the, for the organism. Right. But you know, it's just, it's such a crazy knotted up topic. And that's why I like asking that question because it, it usually sparks some very interesting answers. Like, you know, you're talking about remote viewing and like, psychic phenomenon, uh, that kind of, that kind of makes me, um, wonder, do you, do you still use psychedelics, um, on a, any sort of regular basis or are you, uh, did you like hang up the phone like, uh, Alan? <laughs> kind <of talked> about? <laughs> um,
1: no, I love the phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Alan Watts's phone, and um, <laughs> it's a very useful tool. Um, and uh, it's a very interesting topic I've been interested in since my very early years, and uh, know quite a bit about it. Um, just. From having studied the whole topic for years and then also with uh, Sonny's work in psychedelic assisted therapy, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, this, you know, outside of the kind of recreational or artistic realm of that, there is, you know, a huge underappreciated therapeutic um set of modalities that can be used for to great effect in terms of healing and wholeness and integration and de-traumatization and Mm -hmm. creativity. Um, so, you know, I don't really go on public record about Alan Watts's phone, but, um, (laughs) but we've had some great calls.
0: (laughs) Nice, 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 nice.
1: And, and, but kind of back to the, like the, the topic of consciousness, like, I mean, in super inspired, States of mind, like there is this thing of like um when you get to this transcendent place beyond time where everything is already accomplished and everything is all, you know, full information, full attainment, what what Aristotle would call the the Entelechy. Um you see that there's there's two main components to that. I don't know if you've ever seen, well, I'm sure you've seen like Fractal animations where there's like a Mandelbrot set or some other thing. And it's got, it's got, it's like spiral architecture. And then there'll be like these either waves surging into the space or waves surging out of the space. And it's, I think it's constructive to use that as sort of a metaphor for like what life is trying to do being like the waves that are approaching from a general sense and becoming more and more specific, into these finer and finer branching details of what ends up being the fractal structure and so like in esoteric science they say well you know what's god and they say well god is pressure and that's Mm -hmm. a kind of an interesting metaphor to to look at like the why and the you know if you look at any force greater than human agency in the classic kind of archetypal sense those have been the gods. And so you've Mm -hmm. got, you know, a light, a lightning God and a rain God and an earthquake God and all these other things that like, you know, this entire pantheon of all these forces greater than humans or forces within humans that they don't quite know how to manage or master. Right. Um, If you look at each of those as a kind of pressure, that's That's trying to do its own thing in the big, jam session of reality then like you know you could look at that as like these waves that are like these different kinds of pressures that are moving into the opportunities that present that for action Mm -hmm. and and you know when conditions are right and things aren't breaking down or contaminated or warped or whatever like those balanced forces end up becoming like this surging completing force that like does the universe's work but it's also important to look at the other side of that which is like the fractal architecture of the thing that's the attractor it's the attractor and so you know when you get into this hyperconscious state of like well what's consciousness and what's it for and what's it doing you can get to that point where you start to grasp the final edge of the entire structure as the attractor And you're like, Oh my God, it's all done. It's all perfect. It's all coming. It's all arriving. It's. And so like, you know, when you get into this inspired state and you're trying to like create a work of art, or you're trying to create a story like the one I've been working on, you know, it's almost kind of like, if you can get your energy level up enough, you can just sort of stick your head into it and then just try to like notice and remember as much as you can. Then you come back and you get to work and that's a glorious rare state of mind but it's a really beautiful divine one and uh you know i'd, I'd say that uh um thanks alan watts for the calling card <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's really that's a nice way to say it yeah 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 i'm i'm right there with you like uh, solid state of the the center of of everything is sort of what i you know Sometimes that I've, I've been on phone calls. That's sort of how I describe, describe that space that you're talking about. That's already like, it's already happened, but now it's just taking, you know, it's like just, uh, as, as Terrence McKenna said in in one of his speeches, it's going through the, you know, what is it? It's something like, uh, uh, my brain's not working well today, but it's, it's going through it's like just
1: (laughs) didn't he didn't he call it like the 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 historical attractor at the end of time or something like that
0: yeah there's the there's the eschaton right and then like reality is is taking um potential from from that realm and you know occurring just like going (laughs) through the formal process of of happening but it's all (laughs) already like happened and as you're saying in that like kind of completed fractal state right i i call it well the thing that i came away from you know trying to turn trying to word that space was like just the solid state light hard drive of the the center of the universe um yeah. Now we're just waxing poetic over here, but uh, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate you like breaking all that down uh, in such a, uh, such a metaphorical way. Um, I'm glad we could use Alan Watts, our good buddy uh, to, to sort of stay, stay on the public record, but not.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. He was, a, he was a great mind and a great writer. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so you said you mentioned Margaret Atwood as uh, someone you've been reading recently, and Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. Um, who are some other influences? I mean, they can be painters, they can be uh, novelists, they can be whoever from any medium that that have influenced the work that you do.
1: I mean, I would say like music informs my aesthetic a lot, and um probably the musical artist that liberated me the most from my kind of stuck non-psychedelic hiatus that lasted for like 10, 15 years was Hammond Tobin.
0: Oh, nice. Big fan. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, and that that stuff was being made at that time was just like, whoa, this is, yeah, it was, it was life-changing. It really was. Um, and so I'm still super into the out there electronica. Um some of my stuff I've been listening to a lot lately is um Shapesift, I really like. Um hullabaloo, kind nice. of the neuro, the neuro hyphy, whatever you want to call that. Just like really dense, complex beats and a lot of dynamism.
0: Nice. Um you like uh, Mr. Bill? you know, Mr. Bill. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: One of my faves. I had him on the podcast. It was pretty cool. Pretty fun.
1: Yeah. I listened, I listened to it. Yeah, it was good.
0: Nice. Um, he also has his own podcast. Uh, I'll just plug that a little bit, but, um, yeah, I love, I love all that shit. And so do you paint, do you still live paint a lot? Do you go to festivals or anything like that very much? I mean,
1: I haven't, I haven't done that uh, since the COVID period began. I would like to get back to it. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I. The last one I did was like a big base Nectar show. Um, and I think I was like the oldest person in the building, like <laughs> older than all the cops and even the organizers, <laughs> probably, probably older than the people that, Actually owned the building. it was just it was you know it's kind of like, whoa, you know, but yeah. hey, whatever, you know,
0: but <laughs> no, that's cool, no, I'm starting to feel that way sometimes, um you know, I don't know how old you are, but uh, I just turned thirty six, and I think the average age of uh people going to shows of the music that we like is is like somewhere between like eighteen and thirty, you know what mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, you know that that doesn't really matter. I guess as long as uh you're just having fun doing what you love.
1: Yeah, I mean, fortunately, I think we're kind of in a a, a more tolerant cultural time. You know, where people are just—it's like, okay, well, put your money where your mouth is with all this diversity and, and diversion stuff. And it's like, yeah, I'm fucking old. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm into the same. And I'm into the same thing here. So whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been doing this shit since 1984,
0: you know, so. Nice. Um, Do you have any just off the top crazy uh, festival stories that you'd like to share? I mean. Or maybe like, maybe like the craziest thing someone's ever said to you at a festival about your art. If that frames it a little um,
1: better. Well, I had the guy, I had a guy, um, I was like painting on the painting and he was like, did you paint this?
0: Oh, classic. (laughs) Just classic. Uh,
1: You know, and then, you know, and his next question was like, are you a cop? And then I said, no. And he's (laughs) like, do you want to take this? And he hands me some mystery pill. I'm like, I'm good, dude. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You stop touching me <laughs> 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 so i mean i don't know i i don't go like to gonzo at festivals or anything so um yeah. i like to i like to stay functional sure, um sure but and i mean i don't know there's just so many like you know like how do you even say well like what was the most gonzo thing you saw today at burning man right and then you're doing that like at day after day after day and after a while it's like you know, was that even remarkable, like right. that guy licking her armpit for an ice cream bar? Was that even like, you know, does that go in my memory bank or the, <laughs> like, or whatever? It's just kind of like, yeah, I don't, there's just like a lot of <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't have like too many horror stories. Thank God. I mean, they exist and yeah, if you're ever too spun out, you can just lay down on the ground and breathe and you,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you, so are you experienced in like harm reduction, things like that at, uh, I I mean,
1: I'm not, I haven't like participated in that. I'm, I'm aware of like things like Zendo and other harm reduction things. And I'm fully in support of that entire philosophy and Mm -hmm. process. And the people that do that, um, are doing a great service to the world. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Shouts Um, to them for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. I uh I I haven't done anything with them personally, but we had to take my friend there one time and um they informed me that it's always good if someone's freaking out um to kind of just let them have their space as well. Like you yeah. don't want to put too many words into their consciousness i guess mm-hmm. if you can just like you were saying get them to sort of like lay down and breathe that seems to be like seems to be like a move maybe not always the move but like a good a good thing to remember so i guess a little psa a little sidetrack there for mm-hmm. everyone listening
1: mm-hmm. don't get puddled
0: <laughs> don't get puddled <laughs> don't get puddled uh yeah that's uh that's great um so let's see i already asked you the question about who your uh who your influences were right yeah i did
1: yeah yeah okay um at least my my early influences yeah
0: Hmm. are you uh so are, are you mostly just writing now or are you are you making paintings still
1: yeah, pretty much. Now, when I've got the time to do creative work, I'm working on the story. I've been working on it pretty pretty consistently for like the last year. Nice. Um, and uh, uh, it actually the the inspiration of it started like right after COVID, like when the lockdown went into effect, mm-hmm. and um, and you know people were speculating of like, oh, you know, where is this coming from? you know, we shouldn't be messing with these like undisturbed habitats and like contacting these species that we wouldn't ordinarily have contact with, blah, blah, blah. And and that was actually kind of the weird roundabout inspiration for the story was like, it was this idea that maybe, you know, these, these mega organisms of fungus that live in the soil that can function kind of like a neural network in some ways, you know, what if, what if it, What if the these plagues were like being cooked up by this like mega consciousness in the ground Mm. and and then released through different species as a way of like the fungus like as a self-preservative mechanism Yeah, yeah yeah and 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 then you know maybe there was like some sort of psychic interface with insects like like leaf cutter ants or whatever that could like you know make this bridge to like basically transmit the message to people that they better like get their shit together and stop destroying the earth or a whole flood of these like new plagues would like erupt and, and do the work for us. Yeah. <clears throat> and that was kind of a crude, not very plausible uh, beginning to the story. And then it was just like, well, no, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm really more of a nonfiction person. So like things that are implausible always bother me. And I'm always looking for like a more like practical solution to how to obtain this premise or condition and so and so that you know working from like if there were some force that was insisting that humans stop destroying the earth and get their shit together and fix the damage and live right Mm -hmm. you know what would that be what would it look like how would it come about what's what are the plausible means in which some condition like that could be satisfied and then, and then it all just started to kind of write itself.
0: Nice. So <clears throat> Nice. Do you uh, – what do you think about – I don't know why what you just said made me think of this, but what do you think about all the, like, UFO stuff coming out um, from, like, official channels like the Pentagon? What's your take on that? Do you think it's us? Do you think it's just some sort of, like, strange
1: – I mean, I've actually seen UFO-type phenomena. I mean, I've seen to... – I've seen a silver egg like thing that was kind of hard to judge how far away it was. I've seen triangular dark things and I've also seen like the classic geometrical lights where they kind of fly in or if they're even flying, if they're even objects, we still don't like everyone talks about it. Like it's an object for sure. And we all we have are these like optical phenomena to say, well looks like an object so it's an object and you know i and i've you know i've watched these things happen and i've been with other people while it's happening and that's you know it's not a rare occurrence people won't think you're crazy if you say you've seen that now but like at the end of the day it's like what do you do with that yeah it's it's and it's like especially when it starts to dominate the headlines and it's like oh drum roll please there's a new Mm-hmm. new breaking story about like the government's knowledge about it. And, and then you see the story and it's like, they just confirmed what like, people have been talking about for like 30 years. Like that, right. just the fact that they confirmed it, like it was there. Like that's not new information. It's just slightly more believable information. But I guess, so my, my knee jerk reaction, my cynic in is like, well, it's a psyop of some sort. I don't know who's, who the interested parties are or what exactly they're benefiting from this. But like, I can't do anything with that. Um, until they're like actually dropping super revolutionary, great technologies to like rescue us from almost certain destruction. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like waste a lot of consciousness on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> But, but you know, when it's like, Oh yeah. You know, it's like, you know the navy you know has this new fusion drive that can like you know create all this cool energy without having to use blah 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 and like wouldn't that be nifty and it's like okay well then fucking get on with it because like we need that shit like yesterday yeah, yeah. come on Totally. So,
0: <laughs> yeah that's kind of my take too i just I, um i think like some of them might, might also be just uh some projection from like the collective unconscious um
1: yeah, and, and Jung wrote about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a whole book dedicated to the topic. And
0: um, yeah, big fan, big fan. I feel like that that's like a pretty big chunk of reality. It's like like you were saying, you kind of mentioned about like these forces that um, sort of control humans that like ancient people thought of as gods, right? And he, you know, he called them the archetypes, but there's also like this sort of like it's like the anomaly that happens every few thousand years where like the collective unconscious projects itself onto reality somehow. And we have these weird phenomenon. Like, I mean, you know, like Bigfoot might be one UFOs, all these paranormal things that like we can't really account for, um, through like our conscious, like rational mind. And so I, yeah, I, it might as well just be well, that as, as as much as it might be anything else
1: yeah um i mean it's kind of on the same topic of like the consciousness question you were asking earlier like well is it a field Mm -hmm. and um for those of you out there that are like you know interested in um paranormal things you know they they might know of uh, rupert sheldrake's work with the so-called morphogenetic fields or the morphic fields or also known as habit fields. Mm -hmm. And, um, there is this documented sort of fringe phenomenon where, you know, people will invent the same invention independently on the same day, Mm -hmm. apply for the patent on the same day or be, you know, and, or, you know, famous examples of like unrelated populations of animals, like innovating the same thing, like, washing their food or figuring out how to, you know, solve some problem, um, even, or, or, well, the one that Sheldrake put up was like, okay, if you're, if you're a chemist and you've made a new chemical and it's never been crystallized before, oftentimes the crystallization process takes a really long time to start because presumably this is a new, Un, there's no habit field for this thing yet
0: there's no it's, tracks there's not a yeah trail. there's no
1: yeah there's there's no probability track or or trough as he likes to describe it um for these things to settle into but someone doing the exact same synthesis in ideal conditions will um ha- be able to crystallize that faster the next time mm-hmm. and again and again and again and, and so it kind of points to this phenomenon of like well, is there a probability field or a, a possibility field or a habit field or a morphogenetic field that that is making these innovations more likely over time? And one of the most interesting extensions of that idea that I've come across is um, there's a, an author named Dolores Cannon who was, a, a, she's dead now, but she worked for years as a hypnotherapist and was really good at getting people into these super deep trances where they could Um, kind of unpack their their traumas and their karmas um, Mm -hmm. in their past lives and but then she found that there was beyond the past life um, analysis um, there was a whole set of people that were kind of in the baby boomer age category that didn't seem to have earth karma weren't sure why they were here on earth felt really bewildered and disappointed by humanity and the difficulties of life on earth and wanted to know what that was all about and um, as they dove deeper into this in in separate sessions with separate people they they kind of came to this consensus that there had been or at least she noticed a consensus of among these different subjects that she was treating that um there was a wave of volunteers and she wrote a book about it called the new earth and the the new i don't know it, she wrote a whole bunch of books dolores cannon but
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but the story that kind of emerged from multiple people's testimony which i thought was super intriguing and even if it's false it's still a really cool story um was that basically like there are these mega angels that get life started on planets
2: mm.
1: and th- through a, a you know a sustained hyper consciousness which tr- takes a tremendous amount of effort um over billions of years and then they you know occasionally it works and and they kind of have these these angels kind of lurk around out in space kind of keeping an eye on things and they call them the garden keepers and they basically have this kind of star trek philosophy of non-interference um (laughs) but but apparently like after the invention of the nuclear bomb they were like oh shit now these neurotic apes have Mm -hmm. nuclear weapons and not only are they likely to blow up their own beautiful planet, which we've worked so hard on, but if they do that, it's going to go out in the habit field, the probability field, the, the morphogenetic field. And wow. it's going to make that, that same disaster more likely and more frequent throughout the universe. And we can't let that happen. And so then they're like, well, hold the phone. Like we're, we're not supposed to go in there and just like zap people mm-hmm. and we can't play favorites. We're not cherry picking and so then after some discussion, uh, it was like, okay, well, let's just have more advanced souls from other s- systems come mm-hmm. in and just ch- chill the vibe. Like these people, yeah. this, they, all they do is incarnate. They don't have to have human karma. They don't mm-hmm. have to be here for any particular job. They, jo- their job is just to show up and just be chill. And hopefully mm-hmm. that'll be enough to cool, off, <laughs> to cool off the earth system enough that it doesn't self-destruct. And I just, I think that's such an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, And I, yeah.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that also brings me back to, you know, there are stories of UFOs or UAPs or whatever the hell they're calling them now, where Mm -hmm. they'll go to nuke sites where they're storing warheads and just shut shit down. Like it'll be like a big, ball of life flying over and you know all the red alerts will go up because it's a military base but then like they they just like make the nukes inoperable and that's coming you know i guess that's coming from like um actual like top brass at the time at some of these bases like coming straight from their mouth which i find you know it's i guess it's sort of interventionist but it's it's kind of like this low key, just like you don't know what this is, but here it is, and maybe it's just like, just to speculate and and be wild here, but like you know, maybe it is how we perceive it is is just sort of like this dumbed down, like oh look at the light and it, but it's like some
1: yeah if we, we yeah, had, and if you are if you are dealing with like vastly more efficient technologies and vastly better intelligences with sensory apparatuses, which are way beyond the scope and scale of our own, then we, we literally not, not only do we not know what we're talking about, we can't know what we're talking about and, and, or what they're, or more importantly, we can't know what they're talking about. Um, So, you know, so we're just like, and like, yeah, (laughs) and they're just taking care of shit. Hopefully. yeah, Yeah.
0: I like that. So, so do you yourself believe in, uh, like past lives and reincarnation and stuff like that?
1: I mean, I've had a few kind of paranormalish things that were like, Oh, well that must've been like a shared lifetime or something, but like, it's not very specific. Um, and mm-hmm. the, the, the experiences have been kind of fleeting and not very useful on a practical level. So, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm open to that. And I think that, you know, if you're willing to accept consciousness as a field in which we participate and, in which we can kind of read, write and access, you know, to varying degrees of accuracy, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think, I think, um, I definitely allow that as a, as a philosophically.
2: Sure. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. But, um, if, if it's a talent, I totally suck at it.
2: Um, yeah yeah Yeah. same here
0: yeah i'm i'm just incl. i'm as inclined to believe in that as nearly anything else you know i feel like that it might just be like uh whatever a scientific rationalist might say that it's just genet- like genetic memories that you're accessing because i i also wonder if like you you preserve any part of like Yourself, or like you know, like the ego after you die. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like you don't like that. You're just put back into this you, quote unquote, or just put back into this like flow state of of swarming genes and and consciousness, right? And then yeah, so- if
1: it's a, if it's a if it's a gene swarm, it's also a consciousness swarm. Yeah, but then but then it's not a disorganized consciousness swarm. It's going to have different kind of emergent structures that we can only dimly I- imagine. So, you know, there's right. probably, there's probably modes of accessing the atomistic individual consciousness as it's sort of archived or, or it could just, you know, be this blended thing. That's like participating in all kinds of stuff that we, we're unequipped to even identify.
0: Mm-hmm yeah 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 um well yeah and i think art is is to to get back to the uh topic the ostensible topic at hand i think art is like us trying to to reach reach an understanding of of things that we might not ever understand uh rationally or or consciously right Uh um so yeah man this is uh, this has been a good talk, and uh, yeah, I feel smart talking to you. I feel smarter <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to uh to this book or maybe this uh, TV show. We'll see how it goes, right?
1: Yeah, it keeps snowballing. It's probably going to be more like a series or at least three main parts mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of bad because it's like I'm still like putting the main pieces together and I'm already thinking about like a sequel. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: so, yes. um, and there's yeah there's kind of a there's a deviousness built into like you know a, there's a lot of themes about like forbidden knowledge and transgression and whether or not to respect agency um, and you know the kind of the nature of, of arrogance in its most abstract sense in terms of like doing something without being asked mm. um, just taking the initiative to, to do this thing. And then like, what's, what, what's the force or the intelligence that's pushing that and is it noble? Is it honorable? Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, there's a whole lot of symbolism that like, you know, there's Kabbalistic stuff and there's Adam and Eve stuff and there's uh book of Enoch figures really heavily in that the old, The old Book of Enoch from whatever two or three hundred BC, which is sort of non-canonical. I don't know. It's funny because I've always hated everything about religion and groupthink, and Mm -hmm. and I've never had much of a stomach for anything biblical. And it's it's so ironic that I like this first thing that I'm writing is like completely about that, and it's (laughs) it's kind of it's just right. It's just ironic.
0: Maybe it's you're like integrating all that information in a way that helps you like not resent it anymore or something.
1: Well, it's, it's more of like seeing, you know, sort of like, well, what's, what's the useful architecture in this archetype? Like what's there's, you know, it's not just this old book of stupid stories written by people that were even dumber than people are now. It's like, it it may, it, it may have started that way, but like then a lot of great minds keep, like playing with it and thumbing through it and like speculating about this and reading all of this other stuff into it. And so what you get is this weird amalgam of like a dumb story with some really deep meaning. That's like kind of awesome. And, it's <laughs> yeah. and to me, it's just like, it's just, it's a paradox, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Do you think people so, are, are actually, more stupid now than they were in the past in some ways.
1: no no actually i well i think i think it's both i mean i think
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think the divergence like you've got even more amazingly stupid people now but you've also got really amazingly well-informed like great minds it, it's it's there's probably some sort of like mathematical formula <laughs> For yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this extreme divergence um, some kind of- so yeah I think I, I think generally speaking yeah people are probably even dumber now than they were like 200 BC um but um but then the knowledge explosion has like made this, this little shiny edge of that like really interesting
0: yeah so
1: yeah
0: <laughs> very nice yeah. well yeah I guess we'll uh I guess we'll wrap it up here um do you do you have any advice for just, I mean, we let's just go with general life advice because we've, we've talked about a lot of things that sort of like spiral spiraled around art sometimes and yeah. just life in general as well. So yeah. If, I, you I have mean, any advice? Yeah,
1: I had, I had like a young starting out artist asked me a bunch of questions, like on that theme of like, what you know, what would what's the advice you would give to your you know 17 year old self or whatever
2: right
1: and you know and a lot of it has to do with just sort of like my own sort of psychological hang-ups or damage or hesitations and just but like i would say get as like find a mentor find several mentors in succession Mm -hmm. learn as much as you can don't be stingy with yourself about like getting educated or taking workshops or just trying stuff, getting out of your habit zones and getting into new, <clears throat> new techniques, to new mediums, new technologies, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I kind of, to my own detriment, I've kind of become even more Luddite than I was in my earlier years. And mm. like, that's not helping me. <laughs> so, right. so I would say, I, you know, what was like, there's some cynical Russian that was like, <laughs> Poli- uh, technology is everything and the rest of politics is window dressing. Yeah. And, and that's like a political one, but you could also say that about art, like where it's like jump into the new tech, jump into the new mediums, make the tech work for you because it's like, it's all about access and power tools and yeah, you know, and if you've got a spark within you, that spark will shine brighter and bigger. If you are using the tools properly. Nice. So, um, So I kind of regret that I haven't been more tech oriented and, and uh, it's a really great time to be an artist, I think, because you can find what you're into a lot easier. Like back in the old days of fucking paper magazines and books and like, like in my art school days, it was like, you know, I exhausted like the special collections thing at the, at the university library and like, I had all the, I looked at every single interesting art book in the downtown library and like I had collected as many interesting art books as I could find. And if I went to a new city, I'd always hit the Rizzoli or whatever and try to find something cool I hadn't seen. And I'd always hit like the art stands and look at the magazines and be flipping through like, you know, four, uh, four magazines or so. And like, maybe I'd see like two things that were like, Oh my God, that's cool. And the rest of it was just like, Oh God, just shoot me. This is so lame. And now it's just like, I'm following like, literally thousands of cool artists like on instagram and like right it's just so much easier to find like what your jam is and so yeah find your jam and like dive in um you know like there was all this cool psychedelic art and all this cool visionary art and you know worked by ernst fuchs and joffra and all these people and like i'd only like glimpsed it in like omni magazine before that went out of print like yeah and i and it was completely eclipsed by fucking renoir it's like oh this is (laughs) right right it's like
0: textbook stuff and you're trying to find like the the good shit like uh,
1: yeah and that's kind of i guess that's why i still kind of have like a chip on my shoulder about blue chip art of any kind mm -hmm. even if it's really great blue chip art is because it's like stop hogging all the oxygen like just like there's so much cool shit being done and like people need to know about that and And these living young artists that are doing cool work need the support and the patronage and, and, and of the, of the many billions of dollars that are changing hands in the upper echelons of the art world, um, you know, a tiny fraction of a percent of that is actually going to like people like you doing cool things Mm -hmm. and you know, but um but at least it's easier to reach your audience in some ways until sure. they change the algorithms and your reach goes to shit like
0: <laughs> yep yeah so yeah well shout out instagram uh <laughs> thank you so much martin i appreciate it, uh this conversation yeah thanks
1: for having me it's been a pleasure yeah yeah
0: i'll i'll definitely want to have you on again and um just tell people where they can find you real quick speaking of uh our uh technological yeah, overlords we-
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> so the R C A F podcast and find it on your favorite podcast <laughs> source or stream. Um, yeah. But where where can yeah, we thanks, find you thanks.
0: where like oh, your well, Instagram?
1: So my Instagram is just MartinStensis. It's Martin underscore S T E N S A A S. Um, so and that's where most of it's going on. I have a martinstensis.com too. If, you know. Cool. Um so yeah you can see uh, a lot more detail there.
0: Sweet. And what's the, what's the name of, of your story going to be called? Do you have a title yet?
1: Um, I wanted to call it IntelliKey, but I think that's a little too abstract and no one's going to get the reference. So Mm -hmm. it'll probably be something else.
0: (laughs) Nice. Cool. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you. And, um, thanks everybody for listening. Will.
1: yeah. Thank you for tuning in everybody. And I hope it was, uh, inspiring, instructive, enlightening, and, creatively stimulating. So thanks again for having me on and look forward to the next one.
0: Absolutely. All right, everyone. Peace. Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash RTAF podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons you guys keep this engine running i couldn't do it without you go over there and check out the tiers i have available includes video uh, guest suggestions uh, patron only posts and some merchandise thank you again for listening please rate review subscribe do all those little things that help get rtaf into the consciousness of more and more people yeah,
2: yeah, <int>